I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, scripture reading for this morning is Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 34. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 34. Mark 4, reading from verse 26. This is the word of the Lord. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the air, then the full grain in the air. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Before we turn to the Lord in the text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. We pray that it would be preached faithfully. We pray that we would behold Christ in all of his glory. For as we behold him and his glory, we behold you. We see you, your nature, your character. Father, I pray that all of us this morning would come to know in greater measure the truth. For as your son said so beautifully, you should know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's through the truth that we are set free. So may we be set free this morning as we hear the truth grant that we would believe it and grant that we would share it with others bless us this morning be with us strengthen us help us in jesus name amen um so this morning's text answers a very practical question it answers a very practical question but let me set it up first you often hear people talk about the kingdom of God. You often hear Christians talk about the kingdom of God, and Christians will say, you know, we're people of the kingdom of God. And, and they'll say, we need to build the kingdom of God. And they'll say, we need to grow the kingdom of God, which, of course, means radically different things, depending on who it is who's speaking. For some people, growing the kingdom means increasing social justice. For other people, social justice has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. For some people, growing the kingdom means separating from the world. For others, growing the kingdom means it 
actually making the world Christian. But sadly, what's often missed in all of that discussion, in all of these different opinions, what's often missed is what the king himself actually says about his kingdom and how it's built and how it grows. And that brings us to this morning's text. Because that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about how his kingdom grows, what it looks like, which is super practical. Just think of this. What should we expect to see, for example, as we look back over church history, as Jesus grows his kingdom over the course of history? What should we expect to see as we look back over church history? And what should we expect to see today as we look out and see Jesus continuing to grow his kingdom. What should we expect to see? What does it look like for the kingdom to grow? And there's two things that Jesus touches on in that vein, in terms of how the kingdom grows, what that looks like. Firstly, the kingdom grows mysteriously. And secondly, the kingdom grows, and I can't think of a better word than this, massively. I don't like the word, but I can't think of a better word. It grows massively. Firstly, mysteriously. Look with me at verses 26 to 28, to 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the air. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now we've got a problem here, don't we? I wonder if you can put your finger on what the problem is. The problem, as you might have figured out, is verses 33 to 34. Mark says, with many such parables, that is symbolic stories, he spoke the word to them, meaning the crowds, but privately to his own disciples, he explained it everything. Now what's the problem with that? Why does verses 33 and verse 34 present a problem? The problem is very simply, we're not given the explanation. Mark says Jesus explained these parables privately to his disciples. The problem is those disciples, Peter, Mark, didn't pass on the explanation. We're not told the meaning of these parables that we just heard read. We were with the parable of the sower. You might remember that. You know, the sower sows the word, and this is what the different soils represent. But we're not given that here. We're not told what these parables mean. Jesus gave it to his disciples, but for whatever reason, it's not given to us here. But you know, that doesn't mean we're left guessing as to the meaning of these parables, just because we're not told the meaning in the Gospels. It doesn't mean we're left guessing. Yes, it's true that the disciples had something that we don't have. They had Jesus' explanation. But you know, we have something that they don't have. Because we have 2,000 years worth of church history to look back on. Now we'll return to that later, why that's relevant, but for now, let's just look at the parable. 
What's the thrust of this first parable? I think the thrust of the parable is in these words. He knows not how. That is, he doesn't know how it is that by putting this little seed, which seems pretty much dormant and dead, in contact with the earth, which also seems in a sense dormant and dead, how doing that produces life, produces growth. He doesn't know how. It's a mystery to him. And this isn't just a first century thing, by the way. There's still something deeply mysterious about how plants grow and how seeds turn into plants. I'm sure, I am, I am 100% sure, if you asked a botanist, right, someone who studies plants, now how exactly does it work? The chemistry of it, the physics of it, how does something go from being dormant like a seed to giving life? There'd still be gaps. There'd still be mystery. But even if there wasn't gaps, right, even if the botanist just nailed it, right, they could explain the whole thing, even if there was no mystery, Jesus' point here is that there is mystery to the way his kingdom grows. It cannot be explained. It's mysterious. Which means this. If there's no mystery in your understanding of the way Jesus' kingdom works and grows, then by definition, it's not Jesus' kingdom you're talking about. I can, I'll say that again. If there's no mystery in your understanding of the way Jesus' kingdom works and grows, then by definition, it's not Jesus' kingdom you're talking about. And I'll give you an illustration. Think about black holes, right? Probably one of the most mysterious things in our universe. Imagine your child, right? I've, I've, got a, I've got three children. Imagine my six-year-old son said to me, Dad, I completely understand black holes. Right? There's no mystery at all about how they work to me. I know them top to bottom. I can explain the whole thing to you, Dad. I know exactly how they work. I would know, by definition, that little Henry wasn't talking about black holes. The same is true here. If there's no mystery in your understanding of how Jesus' kingdom works and grows and is built, then by definition it's not Jesus' kingdom you're talking about. For example, if your understanding of growing Jesus' kingdom looks like picking up a sword and fighting the infidels or forcing people to convert, in other words, if it looks like a crusade or an inquisition, there's no mystery to that. How did you get so many converts? Well, I told them that I'd kill them if they didn't convert. There's no mystery to that. Of course. Which is one reason, among many, that you can say categorically, that is not Jesus' kingdom. It's not Jesus' kingdom. Or to relate it to today. If your understanding of growing Jesus' kingdom looks like taking over the government, there's no mystery to that. How did you grow the kingdom? We took over the government. Again, you can say categorically, that's not Jesus' kingdom you're talking about. Because Jesus' kingdom grows mysteriously. That's what he himself says about it. But here I want to touch on a couple of things positively. Firstly, this has been true throughout history. I said earlier, that we have something the disciples didn't have. 
We have 2,000 years worth of history. We have 2,000 years worth of church history. Now, why is that relevant? It's relevant because church history, very simply, is the fulfillment of these words. You know, Jesus actually uses the word kingdom and the word church interchangeably. You might not realize this, but Jesus uses the words interchangeably, kingdom and church. Remember, he says to Peter, in almost the same breath, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Synonymous. He uses them interchangeably. So when we read kingdom of God, we should have in our minds, the first thing is church. And church history bears out the fact that Jesus' kingdom, his church, grows mysteriously. I mean, how do you explain it? How do you explain that this little handful of people in this little corner of the world in the first century grew and grew and grew and grew? It's mysterious. In the words of one historian who's, who's not a believer, listen to how he puts it, how was it that a cult inspired by the execution of an obscure criminal in a long-vanished empire came to exercise such a transformative and enduring influence on the world. It's mysterious. It's mysterious because Jesus grows his kingdom mysteriously. And secondly, this is still true today. Jesus has not only grown his kingdom mysteriously throughout history, he still grows his kingdom mysteriously today. How are we going to grow as a church, as individual believers and as a church together? The answer is, it will be mysterious. We won't understand it. And our call is not to understand how it works, but to just be faithful. Like the farmer in the parable. He doesn't know how it works. He just knows, I put these seeds in the ground, I water them, I wait. I wait, I wait, I wait, and then eventually you get growth. The same is true of us as individuals and as a church. We're called not to understand how we grow necessarily. We're called to just go on being faithful to do what God has called us to do as individuals and as a church, to go on preaching the word, go on hearing the word, go on sharing the word, and he will grow us mysteriously, but he will grow us. There will be growth over time. Reminds me of that wonderful Martin Luther story. I think most of you probably know who Martin Luther was. Martin Luther was the central figure in the Protestant Reformation, which was the movement that transformed Europe and indeed went on to transform the entire world. And Luther said something really wonderful about his role in that movement. Luther said, I did nothing at all in the Reformation. Absolutely nothing. He said, all I did was just sit in the pub, drink Wittenberg beer with my friends, and the word did the work. The word did the work. So that's the first thing. Jesus' kingdom grows mysteriously. Secondly, and this is a related point, Jesus' kingdom grows massively. Look with me at verses 30 to 32. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up 
and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the year can make nests in its shade. So it's a similar theme in this second parable, isn't it? The growth of a seed, but Jesus adds another layer. He has the crowds. He has the crowds, as it were, picture in their minds all of the seeds that they know about. He says all the seeds on earth. So maybe in the crowd's minds, they're, just, you know, they're, they're picturing a, a table with all these different seeds on it. All different sizes and shapes and colors laid out. So they're picturing all the seeds on earth. And although this isn't technically true, which we'll touch on later, in their minds, it seems, everyone there knows that the smallest seed on that table is the mustard seed. In other words, everyone there knows that judging by the size of the seed, the mustard seed looks like it's going to be the smallest and most insignificant plant once it's sown. But everyone there also knows that looks can be deceiving. Because they know that although the mustard seed looks like it's going to be the smallest and most insignificant, that in fact it becomes very large, larger than all the garden plants, so large that birds can make nests in its shade. And again, there they are picturing that, and Jesus says to them, that's what my kingdom is like. Judging by what you can see, it looks like it's going to be the smallest and most insignificant little thing. But looks can be deceiving. Because in actual fact, just like with the mustard seed, my kingdom grows massively so that it becomes larger than all the other garden plants, so large that birds can make nests in its shade. Now ask the question again. Has this been true historically? Does church history bear this out? Have Jesus' words here come true? The answer is 100% to the letter. These words have come true. I said a moment ago that Jesus had the crowds, as it were, picture a table with all of these different seeds, different shapes and sizes and colors laid out. Now what I want you to do this morning is picture, not a table, but picture the whole world in the first century as Jesus speaks these words. Specifically, picture all of the kingdoms that existed in the world in the first century, as Jesus speaks these words. Remember, Jesus is talking about his kingdom. The mustard seed represents his kingdom. So picture his kingdom, along with all of the other kingdoms in the world, at that time with all of their various shapes and sizes. I actually looked this up. I did the work for you. There's a map of this online called The World in 50 CE. And on the map... You've got a big blob around the Mediterranean, which is the Roman Empire. Then moving east, you've got another 
big blob called the Parthian Empire. Then further east, another big blob, the Indo-Parthian Kingdom. Then further east, another big blob, the Eastern Han Empire. Now you don't need to know what any of that means. I don't know what any of it really means except for the, the Roman Empire. You don't need to know what any of those kingdoms were at that time. But what you do need to know is that there was one kingdom at that time so small it didn't even make it onto the map. wasn't even a blob. You know what that kingdom was? The kingdom of God. It would literally be like a pinprick somewhere in the Middle East. That's how tiny and insignificant it was. It wasn't even a blob on the map. But ask the question, what has happened to that kingdom over the last 2,000 years? The answer is, it's grown and grown and grown and grown, and it's far larger than any of those other empires or kingdoms at the time, even combined. Now, judging by the map in the first century, you would never have thought in a million years that that would be the case, would you? That this little tiny group of people following this man, a man who ended his life crucified as a criminal, would grow to become larger and more numerous than all of those other kingdoms combined. You would never in a million years think that. But that's exactly what's happened. It's exactly what's happened. And this is the irony with people who laugh at Jesus for these words, right? And they say, the mustard seed's not technically the smallest seed on the earth. And you want to say, yes, these words aren't technically accurate. And the response there is to say, well, Jesus wasn't aiming for technical accuracy. I mean, it's just ridiculous to think that he'd say to these crowds, now, let me tell you about a seed you've never heard of and a place you've never heard of. And let me use that to then make a point about my kingdom. Right? That's just ridiculous. But the irony is that though Jesus' words aren't technically accurate, historically they are 100% accurate. And if you're not a believer, you have to do something with this. Not only ask the question, how is it that Jesus' kingdom has grown so massively and mysteriously, but how is it that that's precisely what he predicted would happen? How? Was it a lucky guess? Was it a lucky guess that he said, this is how my kingdom is going to grow, and then that's precisely what took place, and we are evidence of that here this morning in New Zealand? Doesn't seem reasonable. But if you are a believer, this is wonderfully comforting. Do you want to see Jesus' kingdom grow? Do you want to see the world change for good? Do you want to see lives changed for good? Do you want to see darkness pushed back all of us want to see that. And the wonderful thing is, we have seen that historically. And we will see that as Jesus continues to grow his kingdom. But we'll see it grow the way a mustard seed grows. Because Jesus is still in the business of using what looks to men to be incredibly weak and small to do big and wonderful things. Think of Paul's words to the Corinthians. 
For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's the foolish preaching of that foolish gospel that has brought so much good to this world and that has transformed countless lives and saved countless souls. And if we want to see our lives changed and the lives of those around us, we need to go on preaching that gospel, teaching it, and believing it. The gospel that is ultimately not about our transformation or our living, but about Christ's living and his dying. That's the gospel. His death for us while we were yet sinners. And it's that gospel that transforms. Believe it and you will be transformed, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have grown your kingdom exactly as the Lord Jesus said it would grow like a mustard seed, going from being the smallest seed to being the largest plant. Father, thank you that you have so abundantly proven the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ and his prediction that that's what would take place. Father, may we find comfort in it as believers that Jesus has grown his kingdom and he will continue to grow his kingdom mysteriously and massively through the gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ crucified for our sin. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.